Hi everybody, I'm Hysten Kalleklev, CEO of FlexLNG. Today we are presenting our third quarter numbers. I will be joined later in the presentation by our CFO Knut Tråholt, who will walk you through the numbers. Uh, just uh, to remind you, we also will uh, com conclude with our Q&A session. And the best question for today's question will uh, win a gift. This time, the Flex LNG thermos minimize boil off and a beanie, which is nice when the winter season is approaching. This is for the Norwegian brand Amundsen, uh, named after the Norwegian explorer who, who were the first guy on South Pole with a nice Flex logo. So please send in uh, questions on the chat function or by email to ir at flexlng.com and we will cover as many questions as we can at the end of the presentation. So, before we begin, uh, just let me remind you about our disclaimer. We will be giving some forward-looking statements. There are uh, limits to how much details we can cover. So I would also recommend you uh, to review the, the earnings release we presented also today. So, let's start with the highlights. Revenues came in at 94.6 million for the quarter in the high end of our guidance 90 to 95 million. That resulted in strong earnings, net income 45.1 million, translating into earnings per share of 84 cents. Adjusted numbers where we are eliminating gains on derivatives came in at 36.1 million of adjusted net income, translating into 60 cents, 67 cents per share. Uh, during the quarter, we had all 13 LNG carriers back in operation. We completed the dry docking program in the first half of the year with one ship in docking uh, the first quarter, and then we took out uh, three ships during Q2 for the five-year special uh, survey. That means we are done for the year, and we only have two ships for dry docking next year. So uh, with all the ships back in operation and a stronger spot market positively impacting Flex Artemis, which is on a variable higher, that is the key reason for revenues growing from the second quarter to the third quarter. The overall LNG market, both freight and product, is balanced with high inventories of gas in Europe prior to the winter season. So uh, that has also resulted in, in, uh, in gas prices coming down to more normalized level from the, the very high levels we uh, saw last season. Uh, with the stronger spot market, we do expect uh, revenues to pick up slightly in Q4, with revenues uh, about 97 to 99 million, also in the high end of the guidance. So with the strong numbers in Q3 and the strong guidance for Q4, we are well on track to meet the financial guidance for the year, 370 million of revenues and adjusted EBITDA of 290 to 295 million. So with uh, good numbers, uh, a very strong financial position, a completed dry docking program, the board has decided to pay a special dividend of 12.5 cents on top of the regular 75 cents of dividend. This gives an attractive yield of 87.5 cents per share. And if you look at the dividend over the last 12 months, uh, it should give a yield of about 11%, uh, $3.37.5 in total during the last 12 months. So let's look at the guidance. So we are walking the talk when it comes to our guidance. We are spot on delivering the guidance we provided in Q4 when we reported in February. 
Revenues are expected to come in at around 370 million in line with guidance. Adjusted EBITDA also in line with guidance. And we have also guided the time charter equivalent rate uh, for the year. We have guided about 80,000 and we do expect time charter equivalent earnings on average to come in at about $80,000. As you might recall, we also did uh, a guidance on docking. We expected 80 to 100 days of fire in relation to the four dry dockings. We delivered that on 77 days. And then we also guided on the capex for the docking, 18 to 20 million. Uh, we did it at 20 million. So also those parameters uh, exactly on the guidance provided. Um, so uh, let's look at the portfolio of ships. Um, we have 13 ships in the portfolio, as I mentioned, all back in operation. 12 of the ships on fixed higher rate. And then, as I mentioned, Flex Artemis on a variable higher. Uh, linked to the spot market rates. Uh, first uh, fully open ships we have is 2027. We do have Flex Ranger fully open uh, end of Q1 2027. Flex Freedom there is an option to, uh, for the charters to keep that ship to 29. Flex Aurora and Volunteer uh, are, are firm until 26 but the charters has an option uh, to extend those to 2028 which we think is fairly likely. Uh, Flex Courageous and Resolute, Resolute, we do expect those, uh, char the charter to ex exercise those options and bring those ships uh, into 2029. So the only ships where we see uh, potential of getting back in the ne near term is Flex Constellation. That ship is fixed in, uh, until uh, Q2 next year. The, uh, the charter has an option to extend that ship by 3 to or 1 year. If they uh, declare the three-year option, she will be fully open 2027. Uh, let's see, uh, we will know when we are presenting of Q4 numbers in February, whether this ship has been extended or not. Flex Artemis, as I mentioned, is on a variable time charter with a minimum period uh, until Q3 2025, but also where the charter has the option to extend that ship and well into 2030. And, and uh, as I will come back to in the market section, we do think these positions are very attractive when comparing to the overall fleet uh, supply and demand and also where new building prices have been heading. So uh, before uh, handing over to Knut, let's review the dividend. Uh, 67 cents of adjusted earnings for this quarter, uh, slightly higher for normalized uh, or, or normal basic earnings. We are paying then a special dividend on top of the regular 75 cents, giving a total dividend for the quarter of 87.5 cents, uh, which gives in total this dividend I mentioned $3.37.5 cents last 12 months. Uh, and of course the, the decision factors we use in order to determine the appropriate uh, dividend level. We have been covered uh, uh, well in the past. Uh, uh, earnings and cash flow is back to, to dark green. Uh, market outlook, we have uh, downgraded to, to light green and this is just a reflection of the fact that next year, 2024, there are more ships than molecules hitting the water, which has softened the term rates uh, the last six months or so. So with that, uh, I hand it over to Knut and then I will revert with our market update. Thank you. Thank you, Einstein. <coughs> Let's look at the key financial uh, highlights for the quarter. Uh, 
On the revenue side, uh, all 13 vessels uh, were in full operations and uh, combined with the increased earnings under the variable uh, uh, index charter for, for the flexed Artemis, the revenues increased by approximately 8 million to 94.6 million. Uh, operating expenses, uh, slightly lower this quarter, uh, at uh, close to 17 million or um, uh, 13,100 uh, per day. Uh, as we have uh, explained before, the OPEX is a bit bumpy between the quarters uh, and we have guided uh, OPEX for the full year at uh, 14,500 and we, we have some expenses that will come in Q4. So we, uh, we're guiding uh, towards uh, the, um, the OPEX per day for the full year of 14,500. Net interest expenses, which includes uh, 6.7 million in realized uh, gains from our derivative portfolio, came in at close to 21 million and equal to last quarter. And then uh, long-term uh, long interest uh, continued to increase in the quarter and uh, we book uh, unrealized gains of, of 9 million, which then uh, results into a net income of 45.1 million for the quarter. That gives uh, earnings per share of 84 cents. And then adjusting for the unrealized gains, uh, we have adjusted net income of 36.1 million or adjusted earnings per share of 67 cents. At the, looking at the balance sheet, uh, it uh, remains uh, clean uh, and simple. Uh, on the asset side, we have cash of 429 million. And then we have our 13 vessels, more or less sister vessels, with an age of uh, close to four years, uh, at a book value of uh, 2.2 million. And uh, as a reminder, uh, these assets are uh, acquired uh, at a low point in the cycle, so they are much lower than the uh, asset values in the market today and the current new building prices. And that gives us a book equity of uh, 875 million or 32%. If we look at our funding portfolio, uh, about 50% of that is uh, uh, from long-term leases and 50% is uh, term loans and RCF from traditional banks. And netting out uh, the cash we have on, on balance sheet, we end up with a net debt position of uh, 1.4 billion. And if we look at uh, the debt maturity profile, uh, our first maturity is then in 2028. And the combination of, uh, of this financing gives us a very attractive funding portfolio. And uh, we have this uh, 400 million in RCF, uh, which then we can uh, repay in between quarters uh, and save interest uh, rate cost. Um, at the same time, it gives us the, uh, the optionality to act if there are opportunities in the market. Uh, this quarter, we deep dive a little bit more into our balance sheet um, and show here uh, the difference between the depth and our book values and how um, the, the depth is repaid much faster uh, than the book values are depreciated. Uh, on the balance sheet, we depreciate over 35 years down to a conservative uh, scrap value. And as you see on the right-hand side, 
the recent retirements in, uh, of LNG carriers uh, is uh, closer to, to 40 years on average. Uh, so even the book values are depreciating faster than the economic life of these vessels and at the same time the book values are low compared to the current market. Uh, however, our funding portfolio, and there's from particularly from the leasing houses and the traditional banks, they are more conservative. So our debt is then repaid over approximately age-adjusted uh, repayment profile of 21 years. And that gives that we repay this our debt 1.7 times faster than the book values are depreciated. So uh, we are then uh, saving up about 40 million dollar per year. Uh, our interest rate portfolio uh, now combines of, uh, consists of uh, a portfolio of uh, 720 million combined, uh, which net of the utilization of the RCF gives us a hedge ratio of about 65% for uh, the next quarters. Uh, as you know, we've been quite actively managing this portfolio. Uh, and uh, that gives us now a book value um, uh, on balance sheet of 67.5 million. Uh, if we look at the period from January 2021, we have realized and unrealized gains uh, from this portfolio of 128 million. Uh, so we're quite pleased with uh, the exposure we have today and believe that should protect us uh, in this current high interest rate environment. And uh, that concludes the financing and back to you, Eistey. Thank you, Knut. Very efficient. So uh, let's look at the overall market. Uh, volume growth uh, fairly muted this year in the past. LNG export growth has been typically 7-8%, but we are in a period now with lower export growth. I will come back to this a bit later in the presentation. Uh, yeah, about 3% growth uh, year-to-date uh, through October. Not surprisingly, maybe US is the big contributor to uh, the growth, uh, growing 6.7 million ton or out of the 8 million ton, uh, and thus becoming uh, the, the biggest uh, exporter again. 70 million tons, uh, slightly ahead of Australia and Qatar, the two other big export nations. Russia, despite the war in Ukraine, uh, they are exporting healthy levels, uh, 26 million tons, slightly below the levels last year. Uh, one outlier this, uh, this year has been Algeria, which has been growing uh, their export rapidly, both the pipeline and LNG, up uh, close to 40% with 11 million tons. Uh, uh, year to date. Uh, yeah, and then it's about 100 million ton for the rest of the producers. On, on the import side, European demand this year has been fairly flat. Uh, uh, there has been uh, less gas demand in Europe this uh, year compared to uh, previous years. Uh, we've seen an uptick in gas demand in Europe in October. First time in, in a long time we have seen uh, European gas demand picking up. Uh, but, you know, European demand is quite strong because uh, a lot of Russian pipeline gas which has been curtailed need to be replaced with LNG. And European demand year to date is yeah, 103 million tons similar to last year. So actually, uh, overall, it's China growing uh, their imports up 12% year to date with 6 million tons more imported, while Japan, which is uh, firing up uh, their nukes, 
has reduced their demand by about 10%, leaving room for the Europeans. Uh, so I was already touched upon it. It's been a lot of supply events the last uh, couple of years. We had the, the war in Ukraine, of course, which, uh, which uh, started to curtail uh, Russian pipeline gas to Europe, especially with this uh, happened when we had the explosion of the Nord Stream pipeline. We also had an explosion on a big U.S. export plant, the Freeport, which sent, these two events sent prices of LNG all the way up to $100 per million BTU, which equates to close to $600 per barrel of oil. Since then, prices have come down a lot, and during the summer we actually saw the lowest prices on LNG, spot LNG that we have seen since summer of 2021, as reported here by Wall Street Journal. Then during the summer, when prices hit kind of parity with uh, the contracted LNG, which is typically being sold 20-25% discount to, to oil, this uh, dotted line called Brent 13%. Uh, then during the summer, we saw uh, bigger outages in Norway. We had a deferred maintenance season for Norwegian uh, gas exports to Europe. The first, this was deferred during uh, COVID because of uh, uh, you know, difficulties of maintenance during 2020 and 2021. And then last year during the energy crisis, uh, uh, Norwegian maintenance season was uh, deferred again. So the maintenance season for uh, Norwegian pipeline gas export has been very long this, uh, uh, this uh, year. Uh, and we had a big bounce back in Norwegian pipeline gas export to Europe in October after uh, hitting a, a four-year low in September. So with the Norwegian outages and uh, the, the, the fear of threats uh, or fear of strike in Australia curtailing LNG exports, uh, LNG prices has rallied through the autumn uh, and are now at around $15, a, a pretty good uh, premium to the, the contracted price of, of LNG. And if you look forward, prices seems to be stabilizing at this kind of level. So if you look at the overall market in terms of prices, gas is still very cheap in US. This is the Henry Hub. You do find places like West Texas where gas is much cheaper than uh, $3 as well. Uh, but you know, this gives very good economics of exporting uh, gas by liquefying it and shipping it to international markets. Uh, a, a big parcel of LNG has a, a cargo value of 13 million in US. If you, if you, if you put the, the liquefaction cost as, or the tolling fee as, as sunk, and then you can make 40, 50 million dollars shipping that cargo either to Europe or to Asia, which is a longer route, which then entail more shipping cost. So even though prices on, uh, for LNG has come down, to more normal levels, they are still elevated, reflecting the tight product market. Uh, LNG today at around $15, which is the average of the European and the Asian prices, is uh, equivalent to about $87 per barrel of oil, still a $4 premium to, to oil price. About two-thirds of the volumes being shipped are linked to oil prices at a discount, and this, uh, these uh, contract volumes typically shift hands for about 10 to 12 dollars per million BTU, i.e. Uh, at, at a discount to, to the oil prices. Uh, if we look at, uh, drill down to some of the market, as I mentioned, China 
has been bouncing back in terms of demand after they scrapped their zero COVID policies. But levels are still below the levels we've seen in uh, 2021, but above the levels we've seen last year at 58 million tons so far. Uh, so there are room for further growth in the Chinese demand, but uh, the Chinese demand is typically more price sensitive and the economic recovery have been somewhat uh, muted compared to maybe expectations. Then on the, the, the other big Northeast uh, Asian market, Japan, Korea, Taiwan, it's mostly Japan dragging down uh, demand. Uh, the other two Key markets, Korea and Taiwan, are fairly flat, but with the startup of more nuclear power in Japan, they, they can shy away from, from buying quite expensive LNG. Uh, looking at Europe, which has been the big buyer of spot LNG the last couple of years, we are at a level similar to last year, uh, but well ahead of the uh, levels we saw in 2021 prior to the curtailment of Russian pipeline gas uh, to Europe. Uh, um, but uh, with muted gas demand in U Europe, uh, we have seen no le inventory levels hitting about 99.5% full before now we're really starting the big uh, consumption season during the winter season. Uh, it's worth noting that also uh, uh, Ukraine has uh, allowed the European buyers to utilize about half of the gas storage levels in, in Ukraine, uh, 15 uh, billion cubic meters. So far, only a, a fraction of this has been utilized. So there is still room to, to store more uh, gas in Europe if the Ukraine storage levels are utilized. Uh, Looking at floating storage, typically when you have tank tops or where you have uh, a situation where gas is more expensive in the future than today, we do see a build-up of floating storage on ships. Uh, and this has become quite usual uh, during the uh, early winter season. Uh, and we are actually saw it this season as well, a, a rapid build-up in floating storage with the prompt prices reacting uh, positively, you know, uh, prompt prices going up because of the Norwegian maintenance season and the fear of a, uh, a strike in Australia. The economics of floating storage have gone down and we have now see a reduction in the numbers of ships floating with, with, uh, with cargoes. And of course this is also releasing more ships uh, to the market. So, uh, we have had, when we have seen this dip in uh, in, in floating storage, we also seen a dip in the, the spot prices, but they have bounced back and the, the spot rates are at very good levels. We are talking spot rates for modern tonnage at around $200,000 per day and they are acting in, in accordance with the seasonal pattern where you have higher rates in the winter season. Uh, we have made this uh, scale on the left-hand side in logarithmic scale, so it seems like it's not far away from the from the numbers we seen last year, but actually they are about half the levels as we saw record rates last season with rates hitting about half a million dollars per day. Uh, the forward the, the line or the dotted line is the forward prices for freight for the rest of the year, so we do expect rates to, to stay at this elevated level for the remainder of the year, despite the fact that we have seen uh, fairly low ton mileage this year. On the right-hand side on the top, uh, top graph here, you do see the average sailing distance, which is uh, 
you know, fairly low, you know, reflecting the fact that Europe is buying a lot of the spot cargoes compared to 2021. Uh, also worth noting, fixture activity has gone down, the term market has been active, a lot of the uh, uh, charters have been fixing ships on term uh, contracts in order to take advantage of the, the incredible cargo economics, uh, cargo economics which are still attractive today even though uh, spot LNG prices have come down and uh, with all the charters being fairly long shipping there are less spot fixtures in the market as you can see here on the graph on the right hand side uh, in the bottom. A and also maybe worth mentioning also that a lot of the fixtures or actually most of the fixtures being done are being done by charters not independent owners as the independent owners uh, have more or less left the spot market today. So uh, let's look at uh, the more the term market where we are uh, exposed uh, as, uh, as uh, new building prices have been picking up and now stabilizing at very high levels, about $265 million for, uh, for our new building today. Uh, this has also pushed up the term uh, uh, rates uh, in, in tandem with higher interest rates, with higher interest rates and higher investment uh, in order to build a new ship you need higher term rates and 10-year term rates has stabilized at around $100,000 per day. We, As uh, I mentioned in, uh, early in the presentation we have guided $80,000 for this year so we do think that there are uh, opportunity to fix our ships when they are coming off charter at higher levels. The five-year rate it's about $115,000 per day. Uh, so look at the the outlook for uh, the product market, we have had, uh, a, 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 we are in a period now, as I also mentioned in the beginning, with muted export growth. We had a wave of, uh, of uh, volumes coming to the market from 2016 to 2019, predominantly big projects in Australia and big projects in US uh, enabled by the shale revolution. Then with the trade war breaking out between uh, US and China and then once that was resolved more or less in January 2020 we had COVID for an extended period and that has impacted uh, people's ability to sanction new volumes. So once we came out of COVID we have seen a flurry of new projects and this project typically takes some time to come to market. So we do expect the new wave of uh, uh, LNG export growth to start from about 20, next year 2024 but the real growth we are not really seeing before 25, 26 and onwards when, uh, when a lot of new volumes including US volumes and including the big expansion in Qatar is coming to the market and that will drive a, a lot of demand for shipping which is the next topic and the last topic I will cover. So if we look at where are we in terms of supply and demand this is always a very difficult calculation. Um, we have made our own model but this model here is uh, basis uh, a recent model from Affinity. There is about 300 ships under construction today. It's a massive number. But as I shown on, on the last graph, there's also a massive amount of new LNG coming to the market, especially from 25, 26 onwards. So how will this ba market balance out? We do see next year volume growth in terms of exports are quite muted, while there will be a lot of ships in the market. There's also there's more export growth coming to the market in 25, but there's also a lot of ships. Uh, in addition, it's worth noting that 
uh, about 200 of the ships in the fleet today are old steam turbine propelled ships with, which are too small and very inefficient. As we have shown in our presentation in the past, about 100 steam ships are coming off charters by 2027. So these are ships that have been fixed typically 20-25 year contra uh, contracts and once they are rolling off those contracts uh, the charters will typically not extend those ships because of the inefficiency of the ships. So that, this means that we have a line here, the blue top upper line, which is the shipping balance if all ships continue to trade. Then it's reasonable to assume that some of the steamships will leave the market. It's because they are coming off charter. It's also because of the decarbonization rules which have come in, in force. And there are also new decarbonization rules coming into force from January next year, which is the EU ETS, which is a carbon tax for shipping. So all of these drivers will drive scrapping up. Uh, and then it's a question how much scrapping will pick up. Uh, as Knut uh, shown uh, in his uh, graph earlier today, uh, average scrapping age is 40. We do think that number will come down a bit. So uh, the dotted line here is that eventually you would uh, uh, scrap 25% of the steam fl fleet, but eventually uh, by 2030 I think most of the steamships have left the market. So the, the green line is uh, basically reducing uh, the 100 ships coming off charter by 2027 and then of course you do see that this market is starting to balancing in 26 and then becoming tight from 2027. And you know if you look at our portfolio of ships we have two ships fully open in 2027 Q1 and Q2 and then the last next two ships coming fully open is Q2 2028 and uh, when you look at the shipping balance, uh, the export growth, the uh, numbers of ships and then adjust for uh, sailing distance and, and scrapping, we do see that this market will uh, be a bit uh, loose, uh, the 24-25 and then starting to tighten in 26 and becoming increasingly tight from 27 and 28, which I think will give us a good opportunity to fix ships for longer contract duration at higher levels uh, than we have today as uh, evident from the term rates. So with that, I think we conclude with uh, uh, a summary of the highlights. Revenues, as I mentioned, came in high end of the guidance, 94.6 million, giving us uh, 45.1 million of net income or 84 cents per share. Uh, adjusted numbers for where we adjust all these uh, unrealized gains on derivatives Knut talked about. Uh, 36.1 million or 67 cents per share. As I mentioned again, all our ships are back in operation. We will only have two ships for dry docking next year. Uh, the stronger spot market will impact Flex Artemis positively not only in Q3 but also in Q4. So we are guiding even stronger numbers for Q4 with revenues of 97 to 99 million, which means that we are well positioned to deliver on our guidance. Uh, and then we will come up, come <laughs> provide you with a new guidance when we are reporting Q4 numbers in February. And with a good financial position, strong numbers, we are glad to once again provide a special dividend of 12.5 cents on top of the regular 75 cents, which I hope give you a very attractive uh, return being invested in Flex LNG. So with that, I think we conclude the presentation and we uh, pick up with some uh, questions, Knut. So let's see what we have of questions uh, from the audience. Thank you. 
Okay, <clears throat> let's see what we have of question, uh, Knut. Uh, who yes. should we start with? Again, uh, thank you for all the questions. And I think we, as before, we start off with a question from Omar Nocter from uh, Jeffries. Yeah. Um, what's driving the divergence between the time charter rates and the spot rates? It appears to be moving in different directions over the past several weeks. Yeah, they've been living separate lives. Uh, but there are good reasons for this. Uh, spot rates are for us, you know, usually a single voyage and, uh, you know, we are entering into this uh, winter season. Product prices are conductive for freight. Uh, so, you know, you usually do see that uh, uh, spot rates are high at this time of the year. Term market is more about future expectation for, you know, whether it's the next 12 months or three years. So, <laughs> five years. So that is more driven by the outlook. Uh, the outlook for the rest of the year is you know, pretty good with rates at around $200,000. If you are fixing a, a, a ship now on a one-year time charter, you basically are fixing for next year. Uh, recent fixtures or recent quotations for 12 months is at about 100000 which, you know, historically it's a, a fantastic number. Uh, but it, of course it's been sliding uh, and it's been sliding uh, because of, uh, you know, people do see that there are a lot of ships for delivery next year. Uh, uh, there are less uh, molecules hitting the water, so, so it's a bit softer. Uh, it's also driven by LNG prices. A modern tonnage uh, is, is more efficient than older ships. So, you know, if, if 100,000 is the right rate for a, a modern tonnage, it's less for uh, older type of ships. but. Again, this is also driven, the, the, the spreads here are driven by where the LNG prices are. And right now, today, $15 is quite conductive for modern tonnage. It's, of course, much less for a, a old steamship, which is consuming about 60% more fuel in order to move the same amount of cargo. Uh, and then if, if you go further down the road, you know, you have five-year time charters, 10-year charters. We don't really see many people fixing 10 years prompt. So when people are fixing a ship prompt, it's mostly one to three years. Uh, last year when we fixed a lot of ships, there was, uh, it was more prompt interest for longer term. We have seen uh, declining interest for term the last uh, five, six months. Um, so there are few, fewer of those fixtures. So, but you know, still 100,000 is it's good level. We do expect the usual seasonal pattern where spot markets are peaking uh, prior to, to peak winter season and then that we do see a decline in the, in the spot rates when we're getting into next, early next year. And the, this is usually also a result of the fact that uh, typically a lot of new building deliveries are skewed towards the beginning of the year where they get the, the next year vintage and then increased availability of ships in the market. So I do think when we do have the uh, Q4 report in February, uh, term rates are probably higher than spot rates. Mm. And there's <laughs> a follow-up question, so you're touching upon, uh, upon it, and that it's about um, uh, how liquid is the, the time charter market between the different uh, durations of one year, three year, five year, and, mm. and also up to ten year. Yeah, I think uh, this is sometimes a question we go get, and people do think that this term market is very liquid. It's not. It was very liquid, unusually liquid last year when, when we did uh, 10 year rather prompt on Rainbow and then 7 year charters for uh, uh, 
for uh, <laughs> Enterprise and Amber. And then we also fixed uh, three ships with Chenier for uh, a longer duration. Uh, it was, the term market was fairly liquid until the summer and it's been less liquid since. Once the spot rates come down uh, from the you know, elevated levels, you know, if you can fix a ship for $100,000 for 12 months, you might rather do that than fix a ship for five years at $110,000. You rather roll the spot market. So, so it, it's become significantly less uh, liquid. Uh, Fernlis had their LNG report from Q3 where they actually have a, a graph on the number of uh, term deals uh, up to three or five years, I can't remember, but where we've seen a pretty big decline in, in term deals being done. Uh, however, if you know, uh, if, if, if rates get competitive enough, you will probably see a pickup in, uh, in activity. Mm. Um, <coughs> then there's a couple of questions on the Panama Canal and the situation uh, around there. Can you uh, update those? What's the status with the Panama Canal? Yeah, we, it has been a very exciting day. You know, the, I, maybe I should start from the beginning to just give you a description of what's happening in Panama. So, in 2009, they, the Panama authorities decided to expand the canal. Uh, and the reason for this was due to the increase in container traffic, especially between China and US. China became a member of uh, World Trade Organization December 2001, and we saw a rapid increase in trade. And then we also saw a new class of container ships with a wider beam, which could then carry a lot more containers than the older type of ships. So this was called now the Neopanamax, typically around 14,000 TU. Uh, so they expanded the canal in order to facilitate more container traffic. Uh, and once the, uh, the canal opened, eventually they've been gradually able to, to increase capacity in the canal for both the Neopanamax slot and the older uh, canal to about 40 transit a, a day. Uh, usually they, they, they operate with 36 ships, but uh, you know, at peak season, 40 daily transit a day. Where typically the new big ships, uh, these are ships with a, 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 which are, has a beam of less than 50 meters, <laughs> which includes the LNG ships, but it's, uh, it's wider than 32 meters. These ships, usually it's about 10 tra transit of these kind of new Panamax ships every day. However, when they made the decision to expand the canal in 2009, U.S. was a big importer of gas. Today, U.S. is the biggest LNG exporter in the world and by far the biggest exporter of LPG. This means that, you know, when they expanded the canal, they never foresee that suddenly U.S. would be this huge exporter. So we always had, a, a, you know, every year the canal has become more and more clogged because of these... Uh, you know, the, the growth in trade basically from US, both container but also then LNG and LPG. So what has happened this year with El Nino, it's been a drought and uh, the, the canal is fed by a, a, a water source called uh, Gatun Lake. And when, the, uh, when there's less rainfall, this is a very wet place, usually it's about 200 days of rainfall every year. When it's been less uh, rainfall this year, there's not been enough water because every time you put a, a, a ship through the canal, this is like a water elevator. You put the ship through the canal and you are lifted above water level and then down again. 
So every time one ship goes through, it's like 50 million gallons of water being lost to the sea, which is almost 200, mil 200 million liters of water. So you consume a lot of water. Actually, you consume, I believe it's like the canal consumes four and a half times more water than the entire population of Panama. And this is fresh water, so it's not. So, so with the draft now, Panama has restricted the numbers of, uh, of daily transits, first from 36 to 32. And now, last week, there were further restrictions where this daily allowance will go down to 18 by February. So this means there will be a lot less space and ships, uh, especially LNG and LPG ships, need to uh, find different routes. So if you're exporting out of US, you might rather go maybe through Suez or Cape of uh, Good Hope in order to, to carry your cargo to uh, destination, which typically is Asia. Uh, so the container ships are the ones who are paying the most and that's why they get better access and then there's less room for the LNG and LPG ships. So now recently the canal has stopped auctions for a week and they restarted it today and not surprisingly we smashed all records today. So the, the price for a kind of spot slot in uh, Panama today uh, reached 3,975,000 mil, dollars. So almost four million dollars in order to get a spot auction slot in Panama. On top of that, you also have to pay the, the regular transit fees. So you're getting close to four and a half million dollars to use the canal. So that is pricing out a lot of ships, including LNG ships from the canal. And that's why you see a lot of uh, increase in sailing distances for both LNG and uh, LPG ships. For us in Flex, we have all our ships on time charter. This means that we are basically the Uber driver for our uh, clients, they tell us where to go. If they go through a tolling station, they pay for the tolling station, they instruct where we, we go. So if they choose to utilize the Panama Canal, it will be for their account, not ours. We get a daily, daily hire uh, and then uh, they pay all the costs associated with the trade. This being the Panama Canal duties, port duties, or next year, the EU carbon taxation. Okay, and then... Uh... A final question on the market and the market rates. Uh, Anders Vestin uh, asks here, uh, the five-year term rates is at 115,000 per day versus the 10-year at about $100,000 per day, which basically imply that the, the time charter rate in the future for between six and 10 is about 85K per day. So uh, this is the opposite uh, of our assumption of the tightening market from 2028. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. So does the market believe that the steamships won't be scrapped or does it imply more new builds? <laughs> or is there a third factor? I, th I think it's mostly the third factor because there's very few deals done prompt at 10 years. We did it with Flex Rainbow last year, but except for that, uh, I don't really have seen those kind of deals being done. So the 10-year charter rate it's mostly for new building. So people are putting down $265 million to build a new ship. They get the ship end 27, early 28, so it's a pretty long lead time. So the cost when you take into the time money or value of that ship is <laughs> getting approaching $300 million. So when you make such a sizable investment, you want to have some security of cash flow. So that's why typically Owners today are asking to get a 10-year charter in order to make such an investment. So the 10-year rate is more a reflection of the, the tender market with uh, 
ships for forward delivery. The five-year rates is more for a prompt delivery, which reflect what people do expect <laughs> the rates to be over the next five years, while the 10-year ch time charter rate is more where people believe the, the rates would be from 2027 to 2037. So uh, it, it's a bit comparing apples and bananas. Okay. Um, moving over to uh, uh, to flex and business development, uh, Anders Peterson says that uh, there's an active M&A environment in shipping and um, how is flex management interested or currently seeking out business for consolidation opportunities? Yeah, I, I think we've said this in the past. Uh, in shipping there are quite a lot of S&P transactions. It's a bit different for LNG, usually more industrial owners. So there are fewer transactions. Although that said, there's been more transactions in LNG shipping the last 18 months than there's been, or maybe 24 months than there's been in <laughs> probably the history of LNG shipping industry. So uh, we do participate in, in transactions that happens. We do see them on the radar. We sometimes put in bids uh, and we are happy to consolidate uh, the business. We, we have a good setup. We, we can expand our fleet without adding much costs. Uh, but you know, we also have to pay the right price. You have to find the right asset and then you have to pay the right price. Uh, so so we, we, we are looking at that. We are of course always exploring the, the yard market for new builds. We've seen the prices being becoming a bit elevated and given the fact we have as I, I shown in the presentation, there are four ships open, two in 27, two in 28. We rather stayed focused on fixing those ships for uh, longer term contracts rather than adding more ships on top of that. But that said, we are open for consolidation. If we find owners with the right assets and the right attitude, we're happy to consolidate and be part of our, our bigger story. And uh, the alternative growth is through new buildings. And um, Misra Duan from LNGPrime.com says the Qatar Energy plans to book uh, more than 100 LNG carriers at yards in South Korea and China. Um, and uh, what is Flex? Uh, how is uh, we are viewing this? When are we? When will Flex book this 14, 15th? Uh... <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, time flies, but I think we had a slide on on the Qatari order, I think must be more than two years ago. So if you look through our slide deck, we, we had a calculation where we said this is, yeah, as, as I mentioned some time ago, we said Qatar will probably order more than 100 ships. And uh, because we had a lot of banks worried about this, you know, are they going to build too many ships and, uh, and, and, and add too much supply uh, to the market. But there are good reasons for the Qatari making such big investments. Uh, Altogether, they reserved 151 berths at three Korean yards and one Chinese yard, Han, uh, Hudong. And the reason for this, number one, they are expanding their uh, export capacity by 49 million tons. So depending on trade pattern, you probably need 70 to 80, maybe even more than that ships just to cover the new volumes. Then they do have about 25 steam ships which uh, probably will be replaced when they are coming off charter. So then you are at least at around 100 ships. And then they do have, which I didn't touch upon on this graph where we have the supply and demand. Uh, we just stayed focused on the steamships because it's uh, easier to, 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 to simplify with that. But, you know, they have 45 slow speed diesel uh, ships, 
which are LNG carriers that cannot burn LNG. So these uh, ships are burning marine diesel, which uh, is <laughs> quite costly when you have cheap LNG from the liquefaction plant. And they are consuming a lot of power in order to reliquify all the boil-off gas. So eventually these ships might also be considered scrapping candidates. And these are huge ships ranging from 216,000 cubic to 265. So if you're replacing one of these ships, you need more than one conventional ship. So, uh, so I, I think that explains why they are ordering so many ships. We are not participating in the Qatari tender. Uh, we, you know, we have looked at it, uh, but you know, we, we rather focus on our own ships. And uh, if, if there are good opportunities, we will act on them. We have the necessary financial resources to, to add ships, but uh, we are always focused on having uh, the right capital uh, uh, discipline, making sure we can pay good uh, dividends to the investors who are investing in our company and not trying to just build a, a big fleet to, <laughs> in order to satisfy our growth ambitions. Uh, our ambition is to deliver uh, the best possible shareholder return. And you mentioned uh, capital discipline and uh, paying dividends. A uh, couple of questions around the dividend policy and uh, how to uh, foresee or expect uh, special dividends. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I, you know, we try to simplify our dividend policy, uh, even with some decision factors and uh, and, and green and lights. Uh, you know, basically we are paying out uh, everything we're earning. Actually, last, la lately we have been paying out slightly more uh, than we have been earning uh, because we have a, a substantial cash balance. Uh, Knuter did a good job in uh, last year when we did the balance sheet optimization program when we released 387 million of cash from that program, uh, which kind of enabled us to pay back some of the capital in addition to uh, also the return on capital, so return off capital as well as return on capital. Because if you look at the balance sheet today, it's, it's packed with cash and also actually the net leverage of our fleet is very low compared to peers. Uh, I saw Pareto had a comment on it today. We have net leverage on our ships of $108 million per ship. Uh, when you compare that to the market value of the ships, uh, you get to a very low leverage. Uh, so, so, so we do think that it's, it's fair for us to return some of that cash. And then the cash we keep, we're not just sitting on that money in the bank. Uh, as Knut mentioned, we do have a 400 million revolver, which we can utilize on short notice where we can pay that back. And rather than paying the bank uh, our credit margin on top of the interest rate, we can pay a commitment fee of only 0.7% per annum, which uh, gives us a lot of cash op optionality. So you can expect the dividend policy to remain the same, where we are paying back very substantial dividends uh, based on our, our, our healthy earnings and also our sound financial position. Okay, that wraps up the um, Q&A session. So mm. question is... Uh, yeah, who, who is, is winning the, uh, the thermos? And, uh, you know, this nice beanie. The it's getting cold here in Oslo. So uh, I think we're going to send this to you, Omar, since you are always coming up with questions for our uh, Q&A session. So once it gets cold in New York, you, I hope you will do some promotion for us. Okay. Thank you, everybody, for listening in. We will be back in February for our Q4 numbers, where we also will provide a guidance for 2024. Thank you. Thank you.